Well, we're praying for you this morning that you would feel your feet and toes and fingers by the time you got to church. How's that going? I know when I got to church, I started to talk and I went like, uh, um, you know, like this. And so it's getting colder as we go. So I'm glad you're here. You're smart. See, the second service people are coming in colder weather. And I know that you're the smartest group here in the first service. And you get extra points for being here on a cold morning. You know, sometimes we make plans and they don't always work. The plan was is that you would take 494 to 394 and you would shoot into Minneapolis, be to work on time, get that parking spot, and now you're sitting in traffic. It's miserable and you're thinking to yourself, I should have taken seven. I always take seven. What was I thinking? What happened to the plan? The plan was is that you'd have your kids to school on time or to church on time. So you had everything ready. You put all their lunches out the night before. You got them all bundled up. And the moment you were about ready to walk out the door, one of them says, Mommy, I don't feel well. And your whole day has changed. (laughs) What happened to the plan? You thought you would retire. 63, a couple of years early. You had all the finances intact. You had everything ready. But now there's not much left. The medical bills are eating you alive. What happened to the plan? You planned to be married by the time you were 30 and and have a couple of kids, and now you're 40, and you're thinking that wasn't the plan. You found this perfect person to marry, and, and you planned on being with this person the rest of your life. It was a dream. And you just got... Divorce papers in the mail, you're crushed. What happened to the plan? You eat right, you exercise, you do everything humanly possible, and your plan is to live a long and prosperous life. And then the doctor looks at you and says, I'm sorry, but you have cancer. And your world just comes off the rails. What happened to the plan? There's nothing wrong with planning and hoping. The Bible tells us in Psalm 20, verse 4, that God will help our plans succeed when they're His plans. But the problem is, is we live under this false assumption, this false assumption that we somehow control our lives and that we can write the perfect story to our lives when, in fact, Only God can do that. Only God can satisfy our inner longings. And so this morning what I want for you is I want you to be able to stop carrying around so many burdens. To relinquish the burden of having to make your life work perfectly every day. And to understand that God's sovereignty, as we'll see in the story of Joseph, is amazing and real. And I want you to be able to rest in and hope in the amazing plans of God. And I think you're going to find as we go through this section of the narrative that there is no doubt that our God is real and that he's at work. And he's at work in your life. 
So take your Bibles, if you would, and we're going to begin this morning in Genesis chapter 45, verse 1. And if you want to grab that Bible in the seat back in front of you, this is page number 38. You can also get on your Ridgewood app and you can just hit the prompts, media, sermons, something, you'll figure it out. And you get to Joseph and today's date, you can follow along with the study guide. This is a key section of the narrative. Everything has been hinging now on what's going to happen in front of us. And the narrative is beginning now to come to this climatic end. And by the way, after Easter, we're going to go into the book of Colossians. And I'm really excited about Colossians. We're going to go and we're going to pursue Christ together as a community. But today we'll see this gracious brother, Joseph, Offer himself to his brothers in a way that they weren't expecting. In a way that at first terrified them, and then they saw grace. And it's all a part of the sovereign plan of God. It's an amazing narrative. And as we begin to look now at 45 verses 1 and 2, the narrative has been building up to this point. Remember last week we talked about the fact that Judah had finally said to Joseph, don't harm Benjamin. I'll give myself for Benjamin. Just let me replace him. And at that moment, Joseph knew that the brothers had changed and he knew that reconciliation was possible. And it's right off that that we begin here in verse 1, chapter 45. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And so here he is in this private setting ready now to finally reveal that this administrator, this governor, this prime minister of Egypt was really Joseph. And the weeping was so loud that everyone around heard it. It had been 22 years. 22 years of lies and deception and hate. 22 years since he's seen his father. And now, finally... We experience the freedom of Joseph. Joseph, because of God's sovereign plan, experiences freedom. And this is what God is offering us. It's this exciting freedom that comes when we just relinquish our plans to Him. And it can be as simple as, you know what, I have a good plan, God, but I know your plan is better. Because this plan in this narrative is perfect and beautiful, but not without pain and not without suffering. But it accomplishes exactly what God wants it to accomplish. If you look at what happens next, he reveals himself. And his brothers are staring at this man who controls all of the food in the land. He's the second in command of Egypt. He even has an Egyptian name, an Egyptian wife. They have no idea. And all of a sudden, 
He is going to tell them who he is. Now, before we get all weepy on this, think about what they might have been thinking. They had sold him into slavery. They had left him for dead. And now he's the most powerful man in the land. And he's about to tell him, oh, by the way, I'm your brother. The one that, yeah, that one. (laughs) Can you imagine? But that's what's going to happen here. And the cloud that's been hanging over this family is about to be broken. And here it is in verse 3. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? Look at that. He didn't miss a beat. It's like, hey, um, kind of by the way, dudes, like, I'm Joseph. And is my father still alive? What does that mean? It means his heart was now with his father. And then he continues... The text continues, but his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph finally, after all of this time, reveals himself. And there's no doubt that this stunned and terrified his brothers. This is the man that had been manipulating them, and terror fell upon them. But Joseph, before he said another word, is my father still alive? You see, he had, he had gone from this naive lad, kind of prideful, sharing the dream, to this powerful man who manipulated the story in order to see Benjamin. But now the manipulation is over and what we see is love for his family. Is my father still alive? And imagine his brothers. The word dismayed here in in the Hebrew is not disappointed. It's troubled, cast into trepidation to cause great distress. You can almost see the brothers standing there trying to look sideways glances, you know, without anybody noticing. And they must have been thinking, what? What? Joseph? Oh, no. No, we are done for. It must have been similar to when the disciples saw the risen Christ in, in Luke twenty four thirty seven, and they were startled and frightened, and they thought they saw a ghost. They must have thought they were seeing a ghost, because it must have been surreal. But Joseph, Joseph read the room so well. And he understood the dynamics that were going on around him. And he immediately begins to offer grace and he begins to reveal the fact that this wasn't really his plan. It was God's plan. So it's going to be okay. If you look here, he does this in two ways. He assures them that he indeed is Joseph And that they should not be frightened. Look at verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near me, please. And they came near. Of course they came near. They're terrified. And then he said, 
I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And then the first part of verse 5. And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. What an offering of grace. It's not even just that, you know, don't worry, I'm not going to harm you. It's don't be angry with yourselves. Release the shame of this because you sold me here. It's like when your child falls and skins a knee and you immediately come to the child and you take the child up and you wipe the tears away and you say, it's going to be okay. That's the kind of tenderness now that Joseph is offering his brothers. Incredible grace. And it's the theme as we move now into the last section, the the last part of verse 5 into verse 8. We see that whole theme now, the narrative, the story, the plot, the resolve, all come to order here. Look what happens. For God sent me, he said, before you, To preserve life. God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. Here's the key phrase. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Here's the thing. The sovereignty of God is the doctrine that cannot be denied. Flat out, period, cannot be denied. And this is proof. It wasn't you who sent me here. It was God. And so, Joseph, in no uncertain terms, expresses assurance in the sovereignty of God. And you know what he was doing? Is he was comforting his brothers. If you, if you page through Scripture, the sovereignty of God is always used by the authors to comfort the reader. Don't worry. You're going to have trials. You're going to have tribulation. Don't worry. God is sovereign. It's going to be all right. Don't worry. Your salvation is sealed by the Holy Spirit because God has forecast and predestined you to be there. So Joseph explains God's sovereignty here and how it's seen in two ways. First, this wording, God made him father to Pharaoh is simple terminology that talks about this idea that Joseph is committed to Pharaoh. He works for Pharaoh. He's on Pharaoh's team. But then secondly, he has made me ruler over all the land of Egypt. That's just a simple explanation of his power. And so he's saying that God's sovereignty has made me Father to Pharaoh, and I'm powerful now, and this is God's thing. And then secondly, God's sovereignty is seen in the fact that his incredible power gave Joseph the opportunity to preserve the remnant. That's Israel. 
which is the point of the story. He sent Joseph ahead in a famine so that Israel would not starve to death, Joseph's family. And this is all built off the covenant promise to Israel. If we go back to Genesis 12, you don't have to turn there now, but in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, now the Lord said to Abram, that's Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That is the covenant that God has given to Israel. That's being preserved by God by sending Joseph ahead. And of course, the blessing is Jesus Jesus is the blessing to the nations. And this covenant throughout the Old Testament is reiterated. There's the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7 saying that this Messiah, this Jesus, will come through the line of David, the king of Israel. And then in Jeremiah 31, there's the new covenant. And the new covenant is this amazing promise that God will one day be with his people. And that is the forecast of the indwelling Christ through the Holy Spirit. So it's that covenant that's being fulfilled here. And I wish, well, I don't have to wish, when you teach your kids the Joseph story, don't dwell on the coat of many colors. That's the first part of the story. The real part of the story is teach your kids that, you know what, God is using Joseph in an amazing way so Jesus will come into the world and save us. That's the point of the story. And God orchestrated the whole thing. He was above and beyond the players in the narrative. It's amazing. So I ask you, do you not think that God can do the same in your life? Or isn't doing that when you're sitting on 394? And you're in your mind picturing cars zooming along seven without hindrance? Do you not think God is somehow in that and is protecting you? And maybe you went that way for a reason? Or when your kids are throwing up all over their new school clothes? And you're going like, I don't don't do this for one more minute. Do you not think that God is in that moment and that happened because God had other plans for you? You see, here's what's happening. The, The lesson that's being taught here is on reliance on God. Moses is teaching Israel through this narrative that you can rely on Yahweh, this God that is building you into a nation, do you see how he did this? You can rely on him. That's the message from Moses. And so, then the timeless truth for us is that we can rely on God. And we don't have to marry the first man that proposes to us. We don't have to run to divorce court when our marriage starts to go sour. We don't have to give up on our children just because they make a mistake. Because God is reliable. He's in all of this. And I think in the world that we live in, Jesus followers need to be able to rely on this truth, get some traction, and persevere. 
stop complaining about how bad the world is for us. Because I have news for you. It's not going to get any better for us. And so perseverance means that we rely on God. And there's a reward for that. If we look at James 1.12, he said, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. The crown of life, the blessing. And that's for those that persevere. And, and Israel is learning this lesson. And we need to learn this lesson. That the sovereign God was at work. That Joseph, yes, he had great evil done to him. But here he is now in Israel, in Egypt rather, exactly where God wanted him to be. The brothers come. Judah offers himself. Joseph says, now's the time. Reveals himself and then says, you know what? Don't fret. Don't be anxious. Don't be angry. Because it wasn't you who put me here. It was God. That in itself. You know, when they're reading the memo on TV that just came out, and they're all looking for headlines. I've already heard that memo read like ten times. I'm, I'm done with TV now. I'm, I'm turning it all off. But here, this is a this is a headline. God had been behind the whole thing. And now that the secret is out in the open, Joseph has a choice to make. He can condemn them. They have. They tried to kill him. They lied to his father. His father's been grieving this whole time. So Joseph could punish them. He could just turn to Pharaoh and say, you know, to the. To the pit of misery, dilly dilly. You know, off they go. But he doesn't. In fact, he pours out lavish grace on them. Unmerited grace and favor. And he says, hurry. Go back and bring my father. Look at verses 10 through 15. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me. You and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. 13. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you've seen. Hurry, bring my father down here. And then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and he wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. Remember, Joseph manipulated this whole thing so he could see his blood brother, Benjamin. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. What could have been a terrible, awful, retributive moment became a tender offering of grace and love. 
And this is what we are to glean from this. So here's what's happening is the actions of Joseph show us that we can trust God's sovereign grace. Not just his sovereignty, but his grace. And look at how here, look at how he pours this grace out. It can be first seen in the fact that he would provide a new home for his family. Goshen was this lush area. This is the perfect place for them to raise a family. A perfect place for them to raise all of their herds. And Joseph is saying, this is where I want you. And there have been artifacts found, there have been tablets found that in this area, it was likely that particular tribes were able to live as tribes to preserve their national identity, which would be perfect because that's what Israel needed to do. So first, they were able to live in this new place. Secondly, he would provide for all of their needs. They wouldn't have to worry about a thing. Cattle, silver, there's nothing that they couldn't have. Now, this isn't really what you would expect given to a group of people that tried to kill him. But this is what grace is. This is what grace is. And then, and then finally, grace is seen in the fact that there is complete forgiveness, a place to live, gifts, provision, and forgiveness. So, do you see where this is going? This is a preview for you and for me. This is what's coming for us through Jesus Christ. And we can hope in this amazing plan because, again, this narrative is about a parallel. It's about a parallel between Jesus and Joseph. The Jesus-Joseph parallel is obvious here. First, Joseph had all the power in Egypt. But Jesus, who is the anti-type of the type or the greater one or the greater forecast one to come, has all the power of the universe. In Revelation 17, he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Secondly, Joseph had a perfect and just right to condemn every person in his family. Jesus. He he was nailed to a cross. He was rejected by his own people. He could have condemned the lot. But what did he say? He said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so this grace that Joseph is giving is a preview for us because we are without excuse. Here's what the Apostle Paul said about our sin. For since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from His workmanship so that no men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and dark in their foolish hearts. So every one of us is guilty Every one of us is the brothers. Every one of us stands before a throne one day where, by all rights, we should be condemned. 
But instead, we are given grace. For God so loved the world that He sent His Son. Wow, what an answer. I don't think we really understand this or we would be worshiping all of the time. And the last way in which Joseph really showed his family grace is that he wanted them to live near him. Look what the Bible says, what Jesus said for us. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus wants us to live with him. Joseph prepared the perfect place for his family. Joseph, or Jesus, is preparing the perfect place for us. And the, the blessing they're getting is the inheritance for us. Ephesians 1.11 In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. The sovereignty of God is going to deliver amazing grace to the people that believe. And that's us, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. So how does this work out? If you're at a time in your life where God seems far away, if you're at a moment in your life when all you can see is fog and darkness, I've been there, you've been there. For me, it was regarding sickness of a wife and the death of a wife where I had to stare God down and say, are you real? For Wendy and me, it was after Taylor was murdered and we had to go through all of this incredible investigations and court proceedings. And we never, who dreams of that? Who even thinks that's possible? But in each of these situations, you have to make a decision. Am I going to Walk away from God and say, a loving God wouldn't do this. Or am I going to say, I believe the promises in Scripture? Dane Ortland says, we don't believe in the truth of sovereignty. We believe in the person who's sovereign. And so you choose then, as a follower of Jesus, to just walk with God. And, and the point of, of that is that you can choose to trust you can choose to trust, but it doesn't necessarily come naturally because it's not necessarily what you want to do. You want to run. But in order to trust the amazing plans of God, you just trust the promises. And here's the thing. When you, when you do trust and you do walk forward, then you gain a new spiritual perception. You're deepened. You see Christ in a new way. You're able to identify his work where before it would have been lost on you. That's why his plan is so amazing. That's what he's trying to do. I mean, Joseph was hated, sold, abandoned, and he didn't give up on the plan. And so listen, I want you to be able to lay your burdens down. Stop trying to control your life. And here are some promises that might help you. I'm just going to read them through. Matthew 11:28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. In other words, I've got room for your stuff. Psalm 55:22 from the NIV, Cast your cares on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How many of us right now in our spirits are giving an assent to that promise? Yes. So stop trying to organize your life because here's the truth about who God is in Deuteronomy 4.39. Know therefore today and take it to your heart that the Lord, He is God in heaven, above and on earth below. There is no other. Joseph was in Egypt because God wanted him there. God's working in your life because He wants you close to Him. Because he wants you to trust him so you can lay your burdens down and have freedom and joy. And we have the privilege now of going to the Lord's table. So those of you who are manning tables can come up to your table. The worship team can come up. And we're going to take this truth and we're going to use it to bring us to this place where we can celebrate the love of God through Jesus Christ. It was in Jesus' darkest hour when he was totally alone and he knew that the road of suffering was at hand and he took disciples during the Passover meal and he said to them, listen, I'm about to be poured out for you. And this was now the, the moment in his ministry that in a way I think he dreaded because he went to the garden and he prayed 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 that God would relieve him of this but he was willing to give himself because of grace and again this is part of God's sovereign plan of salvation though those people nailed Jesus to a cross they didn't put Jesus there God knew that he had to be there God's sovereignty so we can celebrate together and what I want you to do is as we take the Lord's Supper together first know that this is for believers in Jesus Christ. If you're not a believer, that's okay. You can just remain seated as we come forward to get the elements. There's also, I want you to know, a gluten-free table in the back. But just come and get your elements and then, <clears throat> excuse me, go back to your pew and we'll take all of the elements together as we celebrate the grace and power of our Lord Jesus Christ to save. Please come.